I'm Zach. And I'm Mike. I like anime. And I don't. And this is Journey to the Core. We're introing a little show called Kids on the Slope, which was your idea. I think you've been pushing this one since day one, pretty much. I've been pushing this since like since eight we met. years ago. Yeah, probably. So, Zach, why did you think Kids on the Slope would be such a perfect fit? Well... It's about jazz yeah, and being sad about love. So if there are two things I'm very into, it's those two things you just mentioned. I'm sure that in past episodes, I've dropped all sorts of weird references to various musicians of all genres, rock to jazz, but I'm especially really into jazz. Jazz is a huge part of my life. I was going to be a jazz musician until I realized that was probably not in the cards, uh, but I still listen to a lot of jazz. And uh, this show really hit me in in a in a sweet spot hit you in your jazz center yeah uh so kids in the slope or uh the japanese name sakamichi no apollon so apollo of the slope so originally it was a manga by yuki kodama it's a jose manga which means it's for adult women which i think is the category that most of the shows we like have fallen into i don't know what that says probably nothing really it was published by Shagokukin in the magazine Flowers. Okay. I've read a few other things from Flowers. Iguana Girl, Polar Bear Cafe. Uh, just a lot of really good stuff comes out of it. Polar Bear Cafe sounds familiar. It's why why would I know that? It's well known okay. over here. It has an anime. It's been running for a while. It's just well beloved. You've probably heard of it. Oh, you know what I'm people. thinking of? Is Penguin Cafe Orchestra. That would do it. Not jazz, but it falls into that 70s fusion ambient YouTube rabbit hole that you go down yeah. through the looking glass and plastic love and various uh, vaporwave albums on YouTube. You've probably stumbled across Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Mm -hmm. So the manga ran from 2007 to 2012, which is when the anime came out. Uh, so the anime was produced by MAPPA, who uh, is a production company that I watched a lot of good stuff from. I think uh, TQU Garo, which I've shown you parts of the live action Garo that are amazing. It's that one that had the chain like cross. Oh yeah, yeah. It, the animes for that are about as good. And then uh, Yuri on Ice, which uh, is was one of my favorite shows from that year. Uh, it was also produced by Tezuka Productions, Osama Tezuka's production company, what we founded a long time ago. Uh, and so they're known for like Astro Boy, Kimbo and the White Lion. A lot of the stuff that Disney steals from to get scripts. The anime was directed by Sinshiro Watanabe, who is well known for directing Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. Which I've watched a little bit of. It has a great soundtrack, much like well, this show. Just wait. I think you're going to get to that yeah, so, in a second. Uh, so Sinshiro Watanabe is really famous in the West because Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo, mm -hmm. Space Dandy, all beloved you probably heard about yeah, even i know these shows yeah uh music for all those shows and many of other shows that watanabe's worked on like macross plus is done by yoko kano and seatbelts her space jazz band who also did the music for this show and she is absurdly talented uh she's on the music for yeah, this show cowboy bebop macross plus ghost in the shell they're highly prolific individual yeah incredibly talented yeah besides yoko kano's soundtrack there's obviously the jazz that already exists. I think they had some guest bands perform covers. Yeah, these weren't the original recordings. And as a uh, as as is popular to say in the jazz community, those guys were hot. 
<laughs> I love, I love. They were scorching. To, to jump ahead a little bit, I guess. I love when they're all like jamming in the basement and like everyone's like, oh, you cats. And like, cats start just going like, because everything else is like normal, formal Japanese like speak. Yeah. And it goes into the basement of the jazz place and there's like, oh, you cool cats. Brother June. Like, I was in California a couple weeks ago. I rented a car and it had XM radio. I was driving around <laughs> and I was switching back and forth between the U2 station and the Real Jazz station. Sirius XM, Channel 67. Real Jazz. They're serious about jazz. <laughs> you might be able to see what they did there. And like two to six, three to six every day, Les Davis is the DJ on Real Jazz Radio. It's like if Les Paul and Miles Davis had a baby named Les Davis. And Les Davis is like the jazziest jazzer that's ever jazzed. Les Davis, first of all, he has no idea how to operate a board. I I, I think he's doing it all from home, as most serious XM DJs do. I assume anyone who works uh, in any kind of voice production mostly does it from home. Yeah, it's not like there's a serious XM headquarters where all the DJs go to. He's clearly like in his basement. And so he gets on the mic and he's like, Oh yeah, serious jazz XM. We're serious about jazz. Up next is a classic tune for you. It's Ahmad Jamal, Poinciania. On real jazz and he's like breathing into the mic really heavily and like the song will play then it ends and there's a hard cut back to him and you hear like a dehumidifier in the background <laughs> you're like les davis never change it was magical i almost considered buying a sirius xm subscription <laughs> just to be able to listen to les davis 3 to 6 p.m that's, that's every day just a random aside but he just okay. made what was all in all a fairly shitty vacation somewhat tolerable for three hours per day when my parents have a sirius xm subscription i should uh you gotta get on should that. tune in some less absolutely next time i get a chance les davis if you're listening you're an inspiration Come to us all, I think. Yeah, and also be on the podcast. Yeah, well, we can do... We should have saved this show for Les Davis's appearance. We can do a different Yoko Kano show and okay. let's talk about the jazz soundtrack. Gotcha. Are there any more shows devoted exclusively to jazz? Or is this pretty much the only one that you know uh, of? Where jazz is like the theme as yeah. well as the soundtrack. Probably just this. All right. But I would not be surprised if there were others. Now, uh, if anyone knows any others, let us know. Because Mike would love to watch them. I would love that so much. Well, we're still talking about the music. So the OP, the opening song of this show, was Sakamichi no Melody by Yuki, who's a pretty prolific uh, Japanese like pop artist, um, singer-songwriter. So all right, for one thing, I love this OP a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Although, do you think it was a weird choice, considering the show is so jazz-centric? No. Okay. I, think, I think it was really nice because it set the mood while also being more approachable. And I feel like also like it matches how like the episodes are always like layered with just human beings in high school for the most part. And then it would go into jazz on the underbelly. And I think a big part of the show was that jazz being this this thing that wasn't the same as like your everyday life. And so I think it was important that the introduction to the show wasn't necessarily jazz. And I think that really cemented like the last time they played the OP when it's not at the beginning of the episode. But I bring up the OP because when I looked it up, Suyuki has been involved in one of the weirdest... So a Japan, a Japan market six-piece group formed in the late 90s. And it's Yuki, Kate Pearson of the B-52s. What? Mick Karn of Japan. Uh, two members of The Plastics. Okay. And studio drummer Stephen Wolf. 
who drums for Beyonce and Miley Cyrus. And is presumably related to Alex and Nat Wolf of the <laughs> of Naked course. Brothers Band. Yeah. All hail Paymon. He, for instance, he was the drummer on I Kissed a Girl, oh, wow. Girlfriend from Avril Lavigne, Oof. Uh, Wrecking Ball. Wow. Modern Drummer Magazine calls Wolf a modern-day hit-making machine. So, yeah, I think this is the strangest super band I've ever heard of. Yeah, I can't think of a more diverse super group off the top of my head. Maybe Chickenfoot. I think it's pretty good that... That is sarcasm. Oh, speaking of Brian Eno, the Wikipedia article on Nina mentions Brian Eno. Oh, in what context? Uh, it compares the role of one of the guys from The Plastics to... He played a Brian Eno-like role on the recording. Oh, I see. Credited as a conceptual and visual agent provocator. So he sat in the studio and threw out abstract suggestions... And then Daniel Lanois. Yeah, well, I guess in this he in this, did all the actual work. Yeah, if you want to be one to one with Brian, you know, yeah, I guess that might be what they're implying. Yeah, out of the ending of this article, it's um, other albums and singles were hits in Japan, but unknown in the rest of the world, mm-hmm. except for truly dedicated B52 fans, <laughs> of which there are dozens, presumably. <laughs> 52, <laughs> 52 exactly. to be exact. The band was named after how many fans they have. Yeah, I guess on that note, I've talked about most of the background information right. that I wanted to get into, and we can talk about the show. So I guess before we get into talking about the show and presumably getting into spoilers, why don't we just do a quick, like, did you like this show? I loved this show. Of course, because it's me, I've forgotten literally everything about the story, <laughs> but I remember that I liked it a lot. <laughs> and that's really what matters, is I can tell you, yes, I I really loved Kids on the Slope. I think for me, a big thing is um, when I watched the show originally, I didn't listen to jazz at all. Well, I still enjoyed the show as just a really well done character drama with really nice animation and music. Flash forward to six years later, and especially endemic from this relationship, I've grown to appreciate music in general and jazz a lot more. And so watching the show again was like a new lens on a big part of the show because every episode is very closely tied to the theming of the jazz. Every episode is named for jazz standard. Yeah. Do, do we want to... ties in very closely with the standards named after. Yeah. Do we want to read down the list? Yeah. So we can, yeah, we can just list them off. Monin, Summertime, Someday My Prince Will Come, But Not For Me, Lullabies of Birdland, You Don't Know What Love Is, Now's The Time, which... Is this the one? No, no sorry. Now's the time is... These Foolish Things. Yeah, Now's the Time is a... Love Me or Leave Me in a Sentimental Mood. Left Alone. Left Alone is the one that's not technically the, a standard. The controversial. Despite the fact it was written by Billie Holiday and performed by Mac Waldron. It's yeah. not considered a standard. It qualifies. Yeah, I don't know why it's not listed on... I think it's because Billie Holiday never performed it. It was performed much later after it was written. Right. Uh, and then All Blues. All Blues, which, which is like one of the all-time jazz standards. Yeah, it's a mile. I, I, was, I was impressed that they held the Miles Davis uh, load until the last episode. Yeah. And they had two Gershwin hits. Ooh. Summertime and... But not for me. The jazz standards list on Wikipedia has every single jazz standard annotated with every single artist who ever performed it. Mm -hmm. So clearly jazz heads have a lot of free time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can attest to that. True enough. We're doing an anime podcast. You know, a really fun thing to do if you're a nerd is 
go to the page, the Wikipedia page of one of these jazz standards, listen to how the song evolves across performances, especially if it's a vocal song. On one of the local stations, I occasionally hear this program where somebody will basically take a tune and they'll take you across the evolution of that tune. So like, let's hear an early recording of it and then let's bring it all the way to modern day and you can hear the different interpretations huh, and the way, idea. yeah, the way the song changes over time uh, it's re it's really really interesting to do because jazz is kind of singular in that sense where if you go to a bar and they're playing classic rock songs those songs are going to be the same everywhere you go a bar band playing hotel california or sultans of swing in connecticut it's going to sound pretty much the same as another bar band playing hotel california or sultans of swing in like arkansas or colorado yeah, or the, wherever else the, like the arch typical dad band yeah it's gonna have the same hits or sweet caroline good god have you ever heard I, I think you could probably say with like scientific certainty that there's no moment more depressing in any environment than when a bar band, a middle-aged bar band, does the uh uh oh in Sweet Caroline mm. to like the seven people in the bar, and there's always one person that tries to do it back. Yeah. It's really... Ugh. Especially around here. We live so close to the Red Sox yeah, that it, everyone feels they have to play that song. It's, it sends shivers down my spine. It's depressing. It's really, really upsetting. It's, uh, it makes you contemplate like your existence. Yeah, but wow, I, I can't even... men's do that in general to me, though. Yeah, but that moment specifically, because especially in this region, every single one does it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how often are you hanging out with dad bands? I used to work at a yacht club, Ooh, and every, so night, every night, every night on the patio outside the bar at the yacht club, within earshot would be a different classic rock cover band. Mm. Every single one played "Sweet Caroline." I lived that every That's night, cool. five nights a week. Is that, the, is that why you quit every summer? You couldn't handle it anymore of high school. I would say that was probably a major motivating factor. That made me quit. <laughs> yeah. What were what were we even talking about? Which one the evolution of the jazz singer oh, okay. standards? But yeah, if you go to a bar and see a jazz band playing all blues or moaning or summertime or whatever else, it's going to sound distinctly different from a group doing it across the country in another place. Uh, so, Kids in the Slope is a coming of age story about one kid who has like a military dad uh, who's rich beyond anyone's dreams, who's you know has to study hard and be a doctor and. He, he can only play classical music on his grand piano, and he has no friends. He's constantly moving, and he gets sent to live with his rich aunt. And when he goes there, he goes to it high school, obviously, and where he meets the other two main characters, Sentaro, or sorry, Kaoru is the rich kid, mm -hmm. and he meets Sentaro. Both both the male main characters are super, super like blatantly like this is the rich kid. Like he is, his family doesn't love him. He uh, is expected to study and only study and can mm -hmm. only listen and play classical music. And he has to be perfect. And then you have Sentaro, who has like eight siblings, uh, has like a heart of gold, is a huge tough guy, uh, only reveals his like inner self when he's playing music, like really cares about animals and kids and women and playing fair. Uh, and he plays jazz music, which is yeah. sort of the antithesis of classical yeah. in a lot of ways in terms of how it's performed and exactly. interpreted. Exactly. It's very much, they're very much the archetypical like rich kid, poor kid 
come together in the middle. Uh, and then you have Ritsuku, who is Sentaro's childhood friend and the only person who's nice to Kaoru from the start. And they kind of have like a love quadrangle going on mm-hmm. throughout the show with like a couple other characters. And yes, that's our, that's like the three major characters. And then you meet two other pretty important characters a little bit into it. But yeah, those are the three of the main people. And so the show is about basically these two, Kaoru and Sentaro, forming a friendship through jazz and their mutual love of playing music, and Kaoru learning to play jazz and be more free-willed, and then Sentaro just kind of learning about life. He helps him study at one point. Yeah, in terms of character relationships, it's a very well-done, but very, like, standard coming-of-age story told, Mm -hmm. but it's told really organically through jazz. Yeah. It's also, super blatantly, it's 100% one of those shows where the two main male characters are gay, but the show just can't say that. You really think so? Yes. Okay. There's so many scenes. Okay, because I'm probably forgetting a lot. Can you? So it's important to remember this is a manga. Which scene? This is a manga. Which scenes specifically? It's important to remember this is a manga for adult women. Okay. The main characters are two very attractive high school males, one of which is large and muscular, and one of which is thin and smart. Mm Mm-hmm. There's many scenes of things such as like Kaoru holds out a popsicle and then Sentaro chomps it down in one bite. Oh, I There's see. a ton of scenes of them laying on top of each other in their beds. Wow. There's a ton of scenes of just super suggestive, like the only reason these characters aren't gay is because the show says they're straight and they go after women instead. Interesting take. I, I can see that. I think it's super blatantly just like this is a gay show that can't say it's a gay show. So the two characters go after women. I, th- I just think the show is like super, like very much like we can't just have these two gay characters because then it won't either we won't get the licensing deal or it won't catch on as much. Mm-hmm. So like be really tongue in cheek about it. What if the show had been made six years later? Do you think that would have changed that well, aspect I at all? Thing, I, I don't. I don't know 100 about Japan standards. I do know it's not as acceptable there. I don't know if it's still like illegal. But they're um, still working through it. Yeah, it's not still, that we it's are still being worked through. But, not that we're actually good about it culturally in, in the slightest either. Here. Yeah, like. But I think, well, the problem is, I don't think six years ago, they wouldn't have been able to have a manga with two gay characters as the centerfold. There's a whole genre called boys love. That's that. Okay. But that's a different thing. It's published in different magazines, has way less. And that's definitely what we're watching next. (laughs) Has way less, like, viewers and readers. It's just less popular. If you want if you want to have a mainstream thing that people will watch and read, it has to be straight. And that's true in America, that's true in Japan. Because anytime has something has gay characters in it, it suddenly becomes the SJWs going too far because representation means they're trying to take over or something. Right. You can have 500 million straight characters. That doesn't say anything. But you can have one gay character and then it's SJWs going too far. And people we grow like the, the, the internet anime fan we grossed out by it and turn it off. And I, I guess I, I shouldn't say internet. I say internet anime fan as an internet person because uh, I don't know anything about the internet like anime communities, demographics. But I think in general, no matter where you are, it's much harder to sell gay characters to a wide audience which sucks i'm with you it's unfortunate it's just what you have to do because if the second you become a gay manga you have to have an entirely different form of being produced and a lot of people are just going to not watch it out of bigotry it's sad especially when you consider uh, i'm referring to western media in this instance but the best movie of 2016 and the best movie of 2017 were both about gay romance yeah moonlight and call me by your name yeah you're missing out, people that aren't watching gay stuff. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's, it's get super, on that. 
Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's 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 <laughs> gay stuff. I'm so sorry. That was probably offensive. No, it, like I don't think I don't think it is. But it's weird. We live in times that feel like they're regressive mm-hmm. more than progressive. Yeah, and yeah. But, oh, and is Journey to the Core getting political right now? I don't think you can ever be apolitical. <laughs> fair but you can be more or less political yeah i'm I'm not gonna like suddenly turn this into my like communist like luxury gay space communism (laughs) podcast but uh i am gonna make it known that i support progressivism all right and hope to see it if anybody has an issue with gay stuff unsubscribe i guess yeah we're probably gonna watch a lot more of it judging by the kind of anime that we like You know I'm into it. But anyway, beside gay stuff, what else did you like about the show? Everything. It looks great. It has... I think it's very interesting to call it to say it looks great, actually, because when you compare it to, like, Mob Psycho or Flying Witch or the other shows you've watched, I don't know if those episodes are canon. Mob Psycho, we have, and it's out. Yeah, but Flying Witch is gone. On our SoundCloud. Flying Witch is... (laughs) Flying Witch has flown away. (laughs) It's it's flown the coop. Yeah, when you can when you compare it to like these other shows and like particular animation styles, nothing about this show stands out. It's very plain. It's hundred percent realism, but I think it does a very good job of being that. And a lot of the scenes look gorgeous. It's very much just like a subdued basic look that I think works really well. So like a big a big part of this show I think is there's the high school world with the drama. Then there's the jazz world. Like, everyone has their own character arcs happening. Kaoru and Sentaro and Junichi are all off doing, and Yukari are all off doing things. And then you have everything just kind of melts away to these jazz performances. And I think, like, for instance, when you have, like, the live performance at the club halfway through the show, and they rotoscope the singer to, like, go all out for animation, you can tell, like, it looks different. I think it's, like, they save their dynamicism in the show for when it really has an impact. Like you said, pretty much everything. The look, the... It's weird to be complimenting the voice acting, because I can't understand anything that's being spoken. But it's it's really good. It's really expressive. Yeah, I think that comes through. Regardless it's really natural. That's And that's the other thing is, I guess even though the lazy part of me would probably prefer to be watching dubs if there's one available, you're not getting the full experience and that you're not viewing the original performance. Mm-hmm. You're kind of viewing an interpretation yeah. of the performance or a translation of it. Yeah, like a localized. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's good that I'm watching the subs and not the dubs. Mm. Uh, obviously, the soundtrack is great. I mean, some of my favorite moments of the show are just when they're in the basement jamming. Uh, In fact, I think that would be my only criticism of the show is the fact that I would have liked more of that. That's a purely selfish thing, Mm -hmm. just because the bands they hired to perform these songs were so fantastic. Oh, absolutely. I should use this as a segue just to say I am so in love with Japan's jazz scene. And it really shows in the performances of these tunes that you hear in this show. Japan strikes such a great balance between honoring jazz and its past and really interpreting the songs and the standards in a, in a new, expressive, engaging way where it never feels pandering or never feels tacky or never feels inorganic. That's a big problem I have with the majority of modern jazz, especially Western jazz, uh, American jazz, is I sort of feel like it's all... 
don't know, it's it's all kind of just harmonic wankery, or it's very tacky, very forced fusion. I mean, I like Robert Glasper as a pianist. I think he's very talented as, as an instrumentalist. I loved his contributions to, to Pimp a Butterfly. But his adventures into combining hip-hop and jazz and people's adventures into combining electronics with jazz generally just come off to me as kind of forced and very self-conscious whereas i feel like the japanese jazz scene i listen to performers over there and it's hard to articulate but i feel like they just get it where they're they're honoring the past and being true to the music while remaining exciting and engaging and informative as musicians as players as bands Mm. uh so that long tangent aside yeah i probably could have used more just straight performances there was a moment in episode nine love me or leave me where they're playing four in the basement that was the name of yeah, that, that a, tune they were like a battle yeah which miles davis made famous yeah. uh, on working with the miles davis quintet and it's just so again hot it's so hot it's scorching <laughs> these cats these cats are just going at it and there's a duel happening basically and it's just so exciting and real and invigorating and i guess that again would be my only criticism is there could have been more moments like that where mm-hmm. they kind of just let the music play out and you got to experience these musicians having that conversation with each other yeah i think um i think there's a few other moments in the show that stick out to me is doing that too after the i'm so sorry that everybody listening to this has to sit through my insufferable takes on <laughs> on jazz music i'm so sorry <laughs> it's really hard for me not to say this stuff it's something you since care we're about. on the subject though yeah, that's what matters i think being passionate about things you care about is important uh but i think for me like yeah there's a few other moments that like really shine in, in that same light when they're in the when they're performing in the club oh and snarky episode. puppy sucks yeah, I want to throw that out there. When performing in the club in episode four, uh, and like before the racist disturbs the performance, they have like the drummer not being into it, and the pianist performs louder to get the drummer to start competing with him to get them all back into the act more. Yeah, uh, I think that was really nice. And then uh, later on, after the uh, the rock performance fails, oh, that I, was that was an element I liked was the inevitable rock v jazz yeah. <laughs> showdown. <laughs> I really loved. I really loved everything about that. Like um, from the jump, the rock performance just treated like entirely differently than the jazz stuff. They go to practice, and then the mom comes in, makes them all eat cake instead. They their live performance fails. The second Centauro agrees to drum in the rock band, Kauru's like, "Oh, you betrayed jazz." <laughs> uh, and then he like walks by them performing, and he hears uh, Centauro playing drums. He's like. Rock didn't betray jazz, and this is like it's super on the nose. Like, and yeah, that, but I thought the uh, I thought their dual performance after the failure of the band was also nice. Yeah, that was a really great moment, and it perfectly reflects the. Well, you want to get into spoilers? Can we just talk about the ending? Yeah. So I, I guess like we've already dropped a bunch of spoiler stuff. We should probably have a spoiler warning earlier on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so warning spoilers from this moment on. We're going to talk about other things. I do have a feeling that most of the people listening to this have probably seen the show. Watch the show if you haven't. Like, I don't know how many. Like, yeah. I don't know how else we can say just just watch the show. And I don't think this is a show that spoilers could ruin. No. I generally don't think that spoilers ruin things in general yeah i agree i do think people have the right to go in unspoiled into things yeah um but i think like, yeah this show is very like but especially in the it, case of a show like this yeah this show is very, like the plot was very standard yeah. and it's all about how the show does it that makes it so nice the plot's nothing surprising none of the character arcs are that weird but 
how the show gets there and how the show presents itself really stand out. The artistry that goes into telling these super basic character arcs makes it really worth seeing. And yeah, so... A, yeah. Uh, a hearty recommendation. Hearty endorsement from us both. Absolutely. If that wasn't already clear yeah. for whatever reason. Now, spoilers. The last episode, we're going to get into it. We cut to eight years later. Well, for well, the last episode... Well, I guess you can explain well, so what happens before... And we get up to the last episode. Flash forward. Centauro's dad comes home after having abandoned them mm-hmm. him when he was very young. And Centauro obviously is not thrilled to see him again. And then he gives Centauro a fountain pen and it makes everything better. So then Kaoru goes to play jazz. You think it's a phallic no, image? No, is it a, a metaphor? I don't think so. Cutting um, that out. So then, so then Kaoru goes to play jazz somewhere. I don't remember the exact moment. He forgets his sheet music. And Star's like, oh, I gotta go give this to him. Uh, and he gets on a scooter and goes, and he gets in an accident. Uh, and he's fine, but his sister had tagged up with him for the ride and was in critical condition. So then Centaurus vanishes. He's just gone. So he'd already tried to run away. And then many things with his dad didn't run away. And then this happens immediately after. And he, he just leaves. He's done. He's gone. His sister recovers just fine right after he leaves, basically. And then he never comes back. So they, they, we get like a really fast forward the rest of the year. Time, time never really has a, like time's passing, but you're never really sure how yeah. much time is passing. Actually, do you want to talk a little bit about the time element? Because it never even occurred to me that this show was set in the past. Yeah. Well, it wasn't but apparently it is. It's set in 1966. Yeah. How... It didn't occur to me until the rock jazz battle happened. So. And the, the scene in the bar with the sailors as well, where I was like, wait, why are all of these American sailors dressed like yeah. they just got off? So, so throughout it, the show the drops. The USS Indianapolis. The show drops hints. Or something. Throughout it. It has anti-American uh, soldier sentiment in Centaur's family, with his mom having him with an American soldier and then disappearing. Carter's dad is actively enlisted and being shipped around the world. Mm-hmm. But there are no references to World War II or no, Hiroshima, which there often after. are in these. So the thing is, this leads into Junichi and his character arc. So Junichi is a student activist, uh, and that leads to him being disowned by his family and kicked out which is his whole character arc, which I have some things to say about. Yeah, we don't need to get into that. It's a whole other can of worms. But about the midpoint of the show is when I picked up on what time it was, because you go to Junichi and he flashes back to his student activism times. And a big part of it is they all read this book. And the book is The Decline of a False System by Takaiki uh, Yoshima. We said we weren't getting political. <laughs> so this book is a... Uh, it came out in 1962 which was the first hit for me. Mm-hmm. And it was a, basically it was, during this point, Japan was in the decline of a roughshod communist system. It had a had a form of Marxism that was really heavy in bureaucracy, and it was, it was just not working. And the Communist Party was becoming a parody of itself. So this book came out as kind of uh, in the face of the decline of the Communist Party. Like, what does this mean for being a student, being an intellectual? What does this mean for art? What does this mean for, like, how do we go forward with the government? So during this time, you had the decline of the education system while student prices were only going up. Everything was just mired in tons of bureaucracy to do anything. So intellectuals and students really loved this book. Uh, and that led to widespread student protests and riots, which Junichi is a head figure of. And that's his character arc, because he sees the activism at the student level and how it tears apart the people he knows 
it hurts them and he sees that something he really believes in is only getting people he cares about hurt and that's his whole arc is dealing with that uh, so that's how i figured out what time it was because student revolts and yeah and then you don't really see it mentioned again until the rock concert when the current thing everyone cares about is the beatles mm -hmm. and you don't really think about it too much and then the ending just tells you it's yeah it's in the 1960s and you don't really notice at all ever because they don't do public transport ever you don't really notice cars they get in like a couple public buses and they, there's a lot that's set in a record store but it never yeah, really because the record registers store today would look the exact same exactly no one has like a television but nothing about it stands out it could easily just been set in the 90s like right before cell phones yeah and you wouldn't know it doesn't hit you over the head with the time period no at i all, think that's which is nice i think that says a lot of the story too is that you don't pick up on this yeah because this is just a really human story. Yeah, it's very universal. It's really interesting because I guess you, maybe you could pick up on it with the musical references because the ones that are but actually... A lot of hip high schoolers are listening to Art Blakey yeah, and Miles well, Davis. Yeah, that's exactly that. And then, but also it's clever about it too because it has references from past the 60s but not like as blatant. And some of the original music written for the show is pretty modern. Yeah. In nature, um, it's electronic or it has just modern qualities yeah. to it. And all like and all that the are not of that time period. And all the references to stuff that would be prominent past the sixties, uh, was very often like not it wasn't like they were listening to a record of it. It would just be like this coincidental thing referencing this that like there'd just be like the name would come up as someone else's name or something. Yeah. Uh, and so you get a lot of that. And yeah, so it leads to this timeless show. So Centara leaves and Kaoru is happy about it for reasons he can't really articulate. And this causes a schism between him and Suko. And so everyone splits up. The trio is separated with no contact, mm -hmm. and they all leave to go to college. And we get the eight-year time jump. Yeah, so Karu is a doctor now, and he... You know what I like, though? Even though he's still a doctor, which is what his like, stodgy family wanted, he has his hair all grown out and, like, literally yeah. to show that he's he's let his hair down, literally. So what happens? Karu, how does he pick up on the information that Centaro so, is out there? Or why does he go looking for him? So uh, Karu is living his life, and then Yukari who ended up with Junichi, they got married. And at their marriage, Sentaro showed up. Uh, and so she got his address and gave it to Kaoru. So Kaoru goes to find him. And then Kaoru, after a lot of searching and asking around, finally tracks down Sentaro. Well, the way he tracks him down is pretty, pretty great. He, uh, he's just wandering around the island trying to find him. Yeah. And then he hears jazz drumming coming from the church. And so he's like, oh, well, I guess I know where he is. And it turns out Sentaro is a priest now. Yeah. Which there's been there was a lot of building up to that in his character arc also. He was a devout Christian because of his mother, and that was a huge part of his character the entire time. There's there's a lot going on in the show that we just can't talk about. So Karu, he walks into the church and finds a drum set covered in a sheet, pulls it off, and then we cut to Sentaro hears organ coming from the church, and the organ is playing Monin, Art Blakey. And so Sentaro comes back to the church and without them even saying a word to each other, Sentaro gets on the drums and they start playing Mona together. It's just such a beautiful moment. It's 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 one of the best endings I've I've seen in any media in in some time, many months. Then you get like the little extra little bit where the, the older priest comes in and shakes his fist yeah. and yells at them for using the equipment without asking. And then they run off just they like they did earlier the in the show. Yeah, and they run off down the hill. Uh, and the opening place, which yeah. I think is very, very nice during this moment, really sticks out to me. It's just a, such a nice opening. And they run down the hill and who's at the bottom of the hill but Ritsuko, mm -hmm. who got a postcard. That the trio is reunited. 
yeah. getting the band back together. Yeah. And so, see, so, yeah, so you know, I think it's one of the best endings like you've seen, right? Absolutely. You know, I know how I can best ending it. of any show we've watched for the. Well, I know how the I can podcast. ruin it for you. Sure. Is there a sequel? The manga kept going. Okay. And then had bonus tracks. Oof. And the last chapter of the manga is yet another flash forward. And Sentaro is finishing up his uh, his priesthood training. And then Ritsuko marries Kaoru in the perfect fairy tale ending. And they have a kid. And then they get the bonus tracks of how everyone's life just ended up so perfectly. And everyone's married and everyone's having a great time. And then like in like the dork from class ended up with that one girl from that one scene. Yeah. And just, I feel just, like this is all sort of implied. It's just, it's the same stuff that, that every, we don't every, really have to see it. Every like play sequel out. to anything that's good does, where right. it's just, it's just, here's what you thought. Like the story very obviously pointed towards, I'm going to tell you it explicitly because there's no such thing as letting things breathe. This is the last like couple chapters of Harry Potter to me. Oh, I'm sure I'm... every single character with a name gets paired up with every other character with a name uh-huh. and they all have blissful marriages with eight kids. So the, the fan arts will stop sending me hate mail like in all fairness that happened in harry potter because i never actually read the yeah, like every single name character ends up with a different name character even ones okay. that never interacted at all it's great i always thought it was weird that harry and what's her name gretchen Jean- <laughs> <laughs> no, that, ended up together that was so random Mine, hermione doesn't make any sense either like, yeah i always thought it would be harry and hermione mm-hmm. and then ron and ginger yeah no ron and his sister <laughs> yikes <laughs> No, uh, maybe Ron and Lulu Lovegood? Is that her name? Lo- lo- yes, yeah. Luna, Luna <laughs> Lulu lo- Lovelace? Luna, Luna Lovelace. <laughs> yeah, I don't... It's been a while since I've been Harry Potter. I don't know. Uh, and then, what about uh, Cho Chang? Yeah, that was his girlfriend from the third book, right? Yeah, whatever happened to her? She probably ended up with a different named character, man. Uh, did she end up with Neville think, Longbottom? Uh, Luna Lovegood <laughs> ended up with Neville Longbottom. Really? Yep. Oh, Jesus. Um, then Cho Chang ended up with Draco Malfoy? No, Draco ended up with some other named character who's from Slytherin. Uh, Cho Chang definitely got married. Like, on every every named character who Cho lived. Chang ended up with Dobby. <laughs> no, Dobby died. Dobby died. I just remembered that. Didn't Spoilers. Dobby have a brother? Dobby had a lot of siblings, I'm pretty sure. And All right. Cho Chang so, ended up with Professor McGonagall. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So, um... Yes. Why not? So, yeah. Like, don't don't bother with the epilogue, but it's only the manga anyway. Cho Chang and Hagrid. Yeah, didn't Hagrid die? Maybe. I don't remember. So, yeah, I think you, I agree. This is a fantastic ending. But hey, you want to know what else happened? A live-action Kids in the Slow movie came out this year. Are they good? I didn't watch it. We, hey, you want to watch the live-action Kids in the Slope movie? I got to probably the import a Blu-ray. All right. It wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, that came out in March of this year, actually. So, uh, timely episode. <laughs> we're, instead of six and a half years behind the times. We're six months yeah, behind. which is depending a on when record this comes for out. us. All right, so anything else about Kids on the Slope? Anything else about jazz? Well, I mean, if you have stuff to say about jazz, now's the time. I don't know. Do you have any questions about jazz that you felt like the show didn't properly answer or address? I don't think the show raised too many questions about jazz for me, I guess. Um, but as a burgeoning jazz listener, is there anything I can clarify for you? Because I did go to jazz school for three whole months. Uh, so I listened to the standards that the episodes are named after. Are the episodes as blatant as I think they are and what standards they pick? Because like, you get stuff like um, Summertime in the episode where they go swimming and boating around. Yeah, I mean, they're get... pretty on the nose. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But oh, yeah. no. 
I have nothing against storytelling that just tells you what it is. Yeah. Not everything needs to be like lynchy. Although I'd be fine with that. Uh, I wouldn't if only just because I know no one else can do it as well as he does. So like people probably could, but none of the people who currently try to get remotely close. Yeah. I guess Junji Ito is the only one, as we discussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last He's, episode. I think I think this is like we're hitting like a string of episodes where we're really... And David Cronenberg in the eighties, maybe. Like Naked Lunch. I think I think we hit a string between this and like Junji Ito of like um like works that very best show off like the cross pollination between American and Japanese like mm-hmm. culture. I think we're hitting like this really nice I think we kinda hit a lucky streak of shows to show you. To we have to watch a really anime. bad show again. I mean I like alright, so I guess just to get it on the podcast so we feel obligated to actually do it. Okay. We're gonna start picking a show at the start of seasons each to watch separately. Let's do it. And completely blind picking it just by the name and the one paragraph description. So I can finally stop just showing Mike shows I like and we can actually get into maybe finding a show we don't like. But yeah. So if anybody wants to comment about jazz. Yeah, also like yeah. Talk about jazz with me. I'm... And again, if you have any corrections, questions, concerns, a few comments, uh, if you just want to say hi, if you want to recommend a show coming up or that recently aired, uh, yeah, leave a comment, email us at journeytothecore at gmail.com. Yeah, we're on Twitter, we're on, we're on Twitter, Facebook. Facebook, all our links should be available pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this, you've almost certainly seen them. We're on SoundCloud. We're on the iTunes podcast store, obviously. That might be where you're listening to this. I think means we're on Spotify. Probably. Yeah. So check us out. And if you have anything to say to us, say it. We're always open to responses, or you can just yell at me and call me an SJW. Anything. Well, Zach, it was a pleasure as always. And without further ado, let's wrap this one up. I'm Mike. I'm Zach. And this has been Journey to the Core. Thanks for listening. Thanks.